0: Five, four, three, two, one, zero,
1: ignition, lift off. Hey, everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning at WorkInsports.com, and this is the WorkInsports Podcast. Prepping for this week's interview was unlike many of my other weeks. Most of the time, I have a pretty good vibe for the person I'm going to speak with, their role, their struggles, their big goals, and can lean into that in my question development. But sometimes, when you reach outside your comfort zone, it can be pretty exhilarating. I've made it clear on this show multiple times prior that I'm not a gamer. I don't know the lingo, the leagues, the competitors, but I am fascinated by the esports ecosystem and subculture. Not in a, I want to go give it a go way, More of a, this thing is huge. Fans are dedicated. Brands are flocking to it. I want to know why, and I want to better understand it. The motivation, the push behind it, what the fans get out of it, that whole experience. I'll admit, and my wife will also concede, that sometimes I personally avoid doing things I'm afraid to fail at, right? I think that's probably something we all suffer with. And the challenge of you know rebuilding our staircase I put off for quite some time because I was afraid to put tons of time and effort into it and have it end up looking like crap in the end. The challenge of researching and understanding esports and booking more guests connected to it is something I've put off because what if at the end of it all, despite all the research and attempts, I come off sounding like an out-of-touch moron, right? So I kind of have put it off. Our internal monologues protect us from failure, but also sometimes prevent us from trying and from expanding. Well, thanks to our awesome graphic designer, Chris Culp, who designs all the podcast episode and our site and all kinds of incredible stuff. Um, He kind of forced me out of my shell without me even knowing it. He basically booked today's guest and said, hey, I think you should do this, which I responded, panic, 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 Uh, alarms. Oh, no, crazy. Uh, truth is, I went through my normal routine of preparation. You know, I write, read articles on the person, I watch videos, I do my background research, I look at their social profiles and become pretty quickly inspired to ask the questions you'll hear shortly. What I found stupefying through my research was the patronizing manner most people of my generation and older speak to the youthful gaming audience. It's like this stunned question repeated over and over again. So you can make money playing video games? Ha! Or did you ever think wasting your youth on video games could work out for you like this? I'm researching and I'm seeing these questions and I'm watching videos and I'm like, oh my God, this is so patronizing. The implied nature of the questions is that even though you are my guest and I am interviewing you because you are important, I want you to know I think you are not important. Kind of made me mad, offended, a little bit ashamed. Funny thing is, I asked today's guest about that phenomenon and he couldn't have been more mature and gracious. Uh, Jaw drop. Really? Like I asked, and you'll hear it later. I asked a question expecting to poke a little bit, not a bad way, but just to get some heated emotion out of him, maybe, or defensiveness towards what his passion is. And he answered it in such a mature and gracious manner that I was just like, this kid's a rock star. Jake Lyon is a 23-year-old retired gamer who played for the Houston Outlaws of the Overwatch League and now is part of the Overwatch broadcast team as a caster. Financial Review called him the perfect poster boy for the sport as it tries to dispel the prejudice that computer gaming is a lonely pursuit of wastrels and slobs. In July 2018, Lyons was selected as one of two Overwatch League players to attend a summit between the IOC and the esports community. That's International Olympic Committee for all of you curious. He's an ambassador for eSports, a charismatic, mature, well-spoken, passionate young man who's also our guest this week. Here's Jake. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? Great. I'm glad to be here. Thank you, man. Thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. There's so much that we've had a couple different guests from the esports world on this podcast, and there's I continue to learn through each one of them, so I'm excited to talk to you and learn a lot more about your background. But before we get into that, uh, because I think there's a really interesting part of your story that we want to really dig into, but before we get into that, I want to talk about esports kind of as a as a whole in the current landscape. We keep talking around our office and saying, like, there's opportunity that comes from chaos, and we're in a chaotic world right now, and yet it feels like... When I say that out loud, I th- I, it kind of exemplifies esports. Like you guys are kind of well positioned and having a moment right now, where popularity is is really on the rise because you're perfectly suited. It seems like for this environment, is that accurate? That you guys are really having a good run of things right now?
0: Um, well, I would say that it's more. It's just that it's less taxing on esports than um, than the traditional sports world. Um, you know, the whole quarantine and social distancing and everything. It it still is a bit taxing. I think, like, even in esports, you know, you can play online, and that's where most people play games. Um, At the top competitive level, you really do want to be playing offline, you know, in a LAN environment where you minimize, um, you know, latency times. And and it's also, you know, for hosting these epic events where you get huge crowds in the stadium. I mean, like, those things are meaningful to esports, too. So we're doing the best we can, and I think we're very fortunate that there are options to keep going. Um, even in an online format. Um, I wouldn't say it's, you know, I, I think it's more that everyone else is hurt more by this crisis than, than we are, rather than uh, everything being great for esports right now. But, um, but I, I see your point, I guess.
1: Yeah, no, I understand that. It does seem like um, it's, it's hard to feel like, I don't know, in this time where so much is happening that's not good, you don't want to be celebrating too much. So I understand where you're coming from, too. But it is nice that you are able to provide for fans that are starving for information and action and something happening right now. I mean, we've seen so many things that don't typically rate in the sports world that are really standing out right now because people are dying for, for content and information and you're able to provide that, which I think is a really great thing. You should be proud of.
0: Yeah, that is something that I've been focusing on. That it feels good to like still be able to, to you know, put in work and provide entertainment for people. Um, that's always what I've saw, seen as like a meaningful part of my job. And then um, creating content around esports and working for the Overwatch League, but. Um, yeah, to be able to do that at a time when, you know, others aren't is is just makes
1: it more meaningful, more important to continue on that mission. Yeah, for sure. I saw that the annual competition for the game Counter-Strike Global Offensive. I won't even try to talk about the actual competition's name because it'll show how old I am, but I saw that it set a new viewership record in March, making it the most watched non major esports tournament of all time. Like you just said, live sports are a pretty, I mean, live crowds are a pretty big part of the esports experience, but you can still do the social distancing. You can still make it work. Do you believe you're kind of reaching a broader audience right now that are maybe not your normal viewers that are tuning in now or are trying to become part of your ecosystem a little bit more because it is what's out there and available?
0: I think that's definitely a factor right People are looking for entertainment they're looking for that competitive thrill that they're used to getting and um, well if you can't find it in one place you know it makes sense that you might go look for it in another. Um, and you know personally as a huge fan of eSports um, who also does occasionally like watching traditional sports as well. And I can see how um, there's a bit of, of um, supplement the, the goods are a bit supplementary like you could you could uh, go for one or the other um, and it makes sense to me that, that sports fans might be curious and, and want to get into it um, in terms of having a lack of other options right now.
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I'm not a, uh, your traditional esports fan. Um, I, I probably don't know as much as I should, but I'm, I'm interested in it. Like I'm, I'm curious about it. And so I've been trying to learn more and see more. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people like me out there that might be normally on the fringe of, of interest, but like right now in this time are probably, Taking uh, a second view or trying to understand a little bit more, how do you embrace those people and bring them into your fold? Well, personally, that's something that, that I've always sought to
0: do to you know, explain the, the, the game and explain the matches in a way that um, I want to do two things. I want to both, I believe it's possible to both entertain the endemic fan and uh, give them that high level analysis where they're really understanding, you know, the complexities of the game. But at the same time, I, I feel like to do my job really well, I should be able to do that in a way that is not alienating somebody who hasn't experienced the game. Um, you know, somebody who is, is just new to the sport, new to the, new to the competition. They should be able to understand when a player makes a big play. I think that's really the, um, the critical aspect of the game, understanding, you know, who's turning the tide of battle for their teammates, you know, who's stepping up to the plate, in a way that's unexpected or or um, special in that moment. And I think that if I can do that well, um, if, if all of us around the league, you know, creating the content and, and you know, casting the matches, if we can all do our jobs well, then we should be able to both entertain those endemic fans who know exactly what's going on and at the same time make it relatable to a newcomer so they can see, you know, which player or they can at least understand um, from our casting, like which players are stepping up, you know, who's making the big plays, that sort
1: of thing. That's got to be so hard because I, I mean, geez, I look at it sometimes and I'm like, I don't know exactly what I'm seeing, right? I don't know. I don't know how to trust my eyes. And yet I've been watching you know, football, baseball, basketball all my life, and I know what to look for. And so If somebody was talking to me as a newbie when I'm watching football, I might be kind of annoyed by that. So you have this really hard thing to straddle, being able to talk to both audiences by not dumbing it down too much, but also making it accessible to others. That's gotta be, I mean, really hard.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think um, I would say yes and no. I think when I'm really in a great flow with casting and and really feeling like I'm, I'm very on point with what I'm saying, then I think that an experienced player who, you know, has watched the league a lot, is a big fan, um, you know, who knows the players, knows the game. Um, They should be listening to, you know, the more complex parts of my analysis where I'm getting into the the weeds on, like, the details of of what exactly made the play special. Right. But for the casual fan, it should be, you know, more of a focus on on the personalities, the players, you know, who's making the action happen, right? Like, you might not understand uh, what all the abilities are called and, and, you know, how the game breaks down. But you should at least be able to get on board when there's a huge moment, and and understand that this player was the difference maker in that moment. And and even if you don't understand exactly how or why, that's kind of how like you know for me watching uh, traditional sports, right? Like I know the basic rules of the game, I know the objective of the game, but I don't really understand you know how a player sets up their teammate or right. um, you know any sort of like strategy beyond the basics. So. Um, I think it's kind of like when you're at that entry level, you should be focusing on um, the experience of the game and and the personalities, and then for the people who know the game better and better, they get you know more invested in the little details and. Um, the, the people who play the game especially might be interested more in like the strategies the teams are using and yeah. uh, maybe be able
1: to incorporate those in their own game you've obviously been very connected to overwatch league throughout your career as a player a gamer and as a as a caster but you care about esports as a whole as an industry how do you think um, all the leagues and all the different uh, associations best capitalize within esports best capitalize on any momentum you're gaining at this time. Are there certain things that you can continue to do to grow the eSports brand?
0: Well, if anything, you know, we're just trying to keep on doing what, what we've been doing um, with as close a parity as possible to, like, the pre-COVID situation, where, like, I do think, like, the pinnacle of eSports has always been live events and, you know, that really unique feeling that you get from being in an eSports live event. Uh, and even though I work for the Overwatch League, I am a big fan of a lot of other games, I watch you know Dota 2 and Counter Strike and um, a lot of a lot of other esports I'm interested in just as a casual fan. Um, and I know for me, like for example, being at the Overwatch League Grand Finals or or being at um, the International for Dota 2 a couple of years ago, those live events really, really are breathtaking. And I think for a lot of people, that is like the most effective way for them to understand the passion that is behind esports uh, in that industry because. I believe, I remember when I was at TI, it was the grand finals was um, China, the Chinese team versus uh, a North American team. And there were a lot of Chinese fans there in uh, Vancouver a couple of years ago. And I believe we actually broke the noise record in the Canucks Stadium wow. <laughs> for all events, <of> <laughs> which I thought was not surprising having been there and, and heard it for myself. It was very loud, but um, was just an amazing feeling to be part of that event and, and be part of that passion. So... I think it does, it is unfortunate for eSports. Like I wouldn't say that like everything is fine and dandy because we can play online. Um, you know, playing online introduces latency and you miss out on that incredible yeah. energy of the live event space, um, especially as a caster. But I think just be the fact that we can have any entertainment product at all, because we can go online, even if it's inferior, um, still is really huge for us. So I think we're just trying to like basically keep up with the standard we've already set before. Um, but it does, you know, it yeah. still hurts, I think, for, for esports fans. You know, we would still love to have those live events.
1: Well, dude, I've seen enough of the videos and seen enough of you in action, too, to know why you love these live events. I mean, you're a rock star out there. I mean, you have, like, streaming fans. Uh, they, they want everything to do with you. They want to know what you're up to and what you're doing and watch you and perform. I mean, that's pretty intoxicating right there, man. I'd, I'd be missing that right now, too. Yeah,
0: I mean for that's another great thing about about streaming live cuz you know streaming you're always just streaming from home online and uh, entertaining your fans and that that I think is part maybe one of the I don't know if I would say it's a secret it's a pretty open secret about esports but one of the huge reasons that esports is so successful is that the biggest personalities in esports are really accessible to their fans yeah. in a way that is not matched I think by traditional sports where understandably like the norm is you know they're you know you might go to a game and, and see the player and you know, if you're if you're really lucky and you buy some expensive tickets, you might they might like hear you cheering or something. But you know, it's just too you're you're very alienated from that person. Like you'll never really know them on a on a you'll never be able to talk to them most likely. You never be able to ask them a question. Yeah. Um, but for most esports players, um, you know, people who stream like a lot of esports players, you know, are on are on Twitch or YouTube or or one of the other live streaming platforms um, putting their gameplay out, reading chat. And, you know, you can ask them a question, your favorite player who you follow in all their pro matches, you can actually ask them a question and they might actually answer you. And, you know, I think that there's a level of genuine connection there that is kind of unmatched anywhere else uh, in this sort of entertainment industry. So I think that is really pretty
1: amazing for, for e-sports and really allows the community to not just feel connected, but, but really be connected. No, I love that. And I think it's so true. And that the ability to connect with your audience is so powerful. I think the fact that you embrace that so much, I think, is a is a really important part of what makes esports special. I, I will admit I'm one of these geeks that has been in the sports industry for a really long time. And I kind of I pay attention to who's sponsoring events a lot, because I think that says a mm. lot about um, a lot about the brand itself rather than the cliches you might hear. And what I mean by that is, you hear constantly people talking about how esports is just a bunch of misfits and social kids, kids that aren't socially uh, you know, don't don't fit in and they're in their basement and they're playing games all day. And then you turn and look and you see Louis Vuitton, Nike, Kia, all the other big brands sponsoring events. And I'm like, that tells me right there that esports is a lot more than kids in their basement playing video games. There's a a big opportunity there. There's kids that are Young adults who are learning teamwork and communication, all these great skills that are a part of what they do. So, I'll ask you, in your view, what do you feel like is the biggest misconception people have about the esports world and about gamers in general?
0: I would say that that stereotype is a really effective one to understand, like that misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, because you know, it is true. Like a lot of people think, oh, this just, you know, they, they, they minimize eSports, right? They treat it as uh, no big deal, right? Um, but I think, as you said, like, I think that is actually a great point, like money talks. Yeah. And the reality is that when these big name companies are getting involved in eSports, uh, whether sponsoring events, sponsoring leagues, um, sponsoring individual teams, or, or even individual players in some instances, um, it's just showing that, like, the real the people whose job it is to find a way to reach um, certain demographics, they are coming to esports. Um, I think a huge part of it is the fact that the average age of an esports viewer is a lot younger than the average age of, um, um, a lot of traditional sports leagues, where, um, I think the NBA is like the youngest average age of the major traditional sports leagues. Um, and still I think it's over 40, as I recall, or, or maybe yeah. close to 40. Um, whereas in esports, you know, it's somewhere, it's somewhere in the 20s. So I think, um, for a lot of sponsors, they just see that it is like, it is still a very young phenomenon not to say that there aren't older esports fans. There are. Um, but definitely the fact that it's so appealing to young people is, is a huge difference maker. And I think another thing that a lot of people, um, you know, where the stereotype comes from is that probably that average age was like closer to 18, you know, 10 years ago. And and that's where people got that stereotype of it's just a kid's thing. Um, you know, a lot of people thought video games in general were just a kid's thing. Uh, but then it turns out that, you know, those kids like me, Kept growing up, kept getting older, and I didn't lose any passion for esports. In fact, I made it my career. It is my passion. So um, for me, I think it's just a breakdown of that old stereotype where games are just a kid's thing. Well, maybe that was true back in the day when there was no um, future in gaming. There was no, you know, esports wasn't even really an an idea yet. I think now that it's uh, gone mainstream in a big way, people see that it doesn't. It's not something that stops when you turn 20 and you know you finish college. Okay, I'm done with that now. That's that's really not the way it is. You know, gaming is a huge entertainment sector. Uh, if you just look at gaming in general, I mean, esports is is still small potatoes compared to actual just production and sale of video games as an industry. So I think um, esports is sort of positioned to capitalize on those um, on those tailwinds of the, on the industry at large. That people who play games in their childhood and are, they're not stopping, right? There's still a lot of games that are made for young adults and people of all ages, really, um, that can get into them. So I think people will see that. You know, you give it 10 years, 20 years, things are only going to get better and better and better for esports. Um, whereas some of the traditional sports leagues are actually really worried about how do we attract younger fans, how do we make the league more sustainable in the long term. That's a real point of issue where obviously those leagues are way, way huge, way more um, significant right now, right, with way bigger viewer base. Um, but you give it 10, 20 years, and I, I think it's it's possible that those demographics will continue to shift favorably for esports
1: yeah those are fascinating numbers and it's a really I mean a, a really well said on your part so help us out here uh, you're talking about the the world the eSports as a world going as a as a industry going mainstream we're talking about you as a gamer and you as a caster and all these different experiences you've had but we, we tend to provide information for people who want to work in the sports industry what kind of opportunities are out there for people who might not be a gamer and may not have your high level experience to be a caster but still want to be involved in eSports are there opportunities out there for Careers outside of being a gamer.
0: Yes, and, and I think that's so important because, especially, um, I would say if you if you're somebody that like doesn't play games, doesn't watch games, doesn't know much about it, you'll definitely need to like get that knowledge and that experience. Right. Like, uh, there are a lot of behind-the-scenes roles where you, it's not like you need to be a, a total expert uh, in the subject matter. Right. The way like a caster does really need to understand it um, in order to be effective. Um, Or a player, of course, needs to understand it in order to win, ever. But um, (laughs) um, I think uh, for a lot of people who have a lot of those skills that are relevant in, like, the broadcasting arena, uh, you know, in running events, um, in social media management, um, in any of those things that are huge in traditional sports and are, like, real jobs for a lot of people, those same jobs exist mirrored in eSports, right? Like, they're still running broadcasts from a technical perspective. There's a lot of roles there. Just to get the show running, like, people just purely behind the scenes, you know, we've got um, audio engineers, producers, talent managers, all these people that, um, you know, in, in eSports, they tend to know the scene a bit and, and be familiar with things, but um, that's not really the focus of their job. That's more of an adjunct. The fact that they are working in this industry, they, they get to know it better. But there are also, for example, in the Overwatch League broadcast, we have a ton of folks um, coming over from the traditional sports side. Um, you know, people from, from with backgrounds like the NFL and the NBA and whatnot yeah. um, that have come to the Overwatch League as an example um, to help us make a great broadcast product. So I think, um, like, any of those same roles actually still apply. Like, we're still running live events. We're still running live broadcasts, and now in many cases on, on linear television. So um, there really is a demand for people with those skills and those expertise. And I think um, there, is a, there isn't as much of a barrier to entry as you might think in terms of, Understanding esports, understanding the game, Um, I do think it's really valuable for people to have both sets of knowledge. Right, if you know the technical aspects of running the broadcast, running the event, um, or or, you know management and whatnot, and then you you know the more awareness you gain of esports, and the more understanding you have of the community and, and. what it perceives as legitimate and what it values, then the better position you are to do those jobs more effectively. But the, the base fundamental skills really are the same. And, and I think understanding the game and, and the community is actually secondary to just being able to do the job of yeah. um, whether you're you know an engineer, a producer, a manager, um, you know running events, any of those sorts of roles. It's really expertise in the traditional sports field that in many cases is the most effective way to be in these positions right now.
1: Yeah, and it's a business and it's going to operate just like any other business and there's going to be roles connected to the operations and, and, and. You know, all the things that go into running a profitable business. So it's, it's really interesting to hear all the different levels that will continue to grow over the coming years. I saw a clip of you being interviewed on the today show, which is pretty cool. Congratulations. And I have to say yeah. you, you were great. You did a great job, but I, I really was getting annoyed watching it because I felt the host was very dismissive and almost patronizing with her style and questions. And it feels to me like when I watch something like that, like you have two worlds that you battle, right? You have these fans who adore Mm -hmm. you and they see you as a hero and they're tuned into everything you do and they want your autograph and they, they want so much from it. And then you have a huge part of society that kind of looks down upon the whole experience and is somewhat patronizing or condescending in it. And like, how do you handle that? How do you handle kind of those two worlds you have to kind of meld or coexist within?
0: You know, to me, it's funny because a lot of people that have seen the interview, especially from the esports side have said the same thing to me, like, oh, isn't that offensive and patronizing? But, you know, in a way, I, I really don't, don't blame her. I think she, the, the interview was, was actually quite fair. And if you think about the viewer base of her channel, people who actually would watch that interview, obviously a lot of fans of eSports tuned in for, like, the first time ever just to watch uh, me and Ronkas on the show. But for, like, the primary, the, the, you know, the majority of that viewer base that saw the interview, those were probably the questions they had, the, the questions where they're like, I don't even understand what this is. You know, how do you make money doing that? Like the questions that right. obviously, you know, are, if you're a fan of esports, it's a little bit obvious, a little bit, you know, patronizing, as you said. But for, the, for a lot of their, her viewers, I think those were very reasonable questions. Like they probably want to know those same answers. So, you know, I don't blame her for, for asking those questions. Um, and I also think it gives us a great opportunity to, to point out the reality of the situation. Like this is a big business. You know, you can be successful doing this. Um, you know, I, I'm also used to it in the sense that I grew up my whole life with my parents telling me. You know, you're wasting your life playing video games. Stop doing this. You know, and, and I would always have to like, oh, mom, I'm getting, you know, it's, I'm getting a 4.0, and I'm I'm in this club, and I'm doing this stuff. So you just let me play video games. Don't worry about it. You know, so it was pretty much perceived as, as a valueless activity, pure recreation. Um, so I kind of came from that and trying to justify myself to my parents, and I think that made me pretty equipped to handle any level of doubt from um, the broader society. It, it doesn't really bother me at all, and in fact, I, I understand it. You know, people always you know, are going to be a bit fearful and and a bit um, condescending towards something they don't understand, something that's totally new to them. Um, So to be honest, I think her questions were were pretty reasonable and probably some that her viewers also had. So I just, I'm happy to have the opportunity to explain esports and explain the appeal to an audience that probably has no conception of that at the current moment.
1: I have seen quotes out there that have said that you are a perfect ambassador for esports, and I can see why. That was a very mature answer, and uh, you have a great perspective on all this, so kudos. I can see why people compliment you in that way. So, so let's talk about you. Let's get into your background a little bit. If I'm not mistaken, you started competitively gaming at 14. Is that right? Um, that's when I started to compete, yes. I was, I was playing
0: um, like at a very amateur level in like an online league. Um, basically just, you know, with a group of friends I'd met playing the game, um, you know starting to play yeah in in, in organized matches so when did um, i think you, it was like 13 14 yeah
1: when do you realize that you are good enough to be a professional rather than just playing amateur style for fun because you we talk about you know professional athletes in in football basketball whatever there's a point where they start to be recognized as like okay this person can play at the college level or they can play eventually at the pro level how does that start to happen in the esports world where you start to get recognized as somebody that's not just somebody who plays, but somebody who could play at an elite level?
0: Well, one of the really exciting things, I think, about esports is that um, it's 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 not gated by age in the way that traditional sports are. Like, if you're 16 and, you know, you're having a great performance in, like, high school basketball, people might have this idea that, oh, you know, you, you could maybe go one level up. You could maybe succeed in collegiate level. People might start to be aware of you, right? And then at collegiate, you're succeeding. You're really strong. Wow. People might, oh, okay, this guy has a potential in pro level. But you, you really can't know for sure and there's a lot of ambiguity there of like whether people can step up and you know as they grow up and become you know reach their physical peak until then you you won't really know for sure i think um is that fair to say you think about traditional sports yeah i do um so in esports i think it's actually not true at all right you'll have 16 year old kids who are the best in the world who are like you know not not the best 16-year-old in the world who are the best in the world yeah um you know we saw in Fortnite. i think the the kid who won the the world um grand championship was um what 16 17 yeah. something like that yeah. so like that and and, it, and that doesn't shock me really because there are young players um you know 16 to 18 years old who are who are at that incredible peak level and, and can play at a professional level because there's not that physical gate where you know if you're just not big and strong enough like You know, there's no 18 year old in the world who's going to be able to compete as like an NFL lineman. You know, you just just aren't physically there yet. Um, But in eSports, it really is a mental game, a reaction game um, to where, you know, anyone from, I think about, you know, 16, 17, you know, into their late twenties can anywhere in there, you could be, you know, a world, a world's best sort of player. Um, So I think the talent scouting aspect of it and people realizing their potential really comes from the online ranking systems. Whether okay. those are in the games endemically, um, now most games are going to have that. They're going to have some sort of competitive ranking system where even if you're queuing alone, there's a rating system. You know, it goes up when you win, it goes down when you lose. And through that system, there's an online list in Overwatch, for instance, of the top 500 players in, in each role. Okay. So if you're in that top 500, you know, or you're reaching sort of the top of the leaderboards in the ladder there, you might start to realize, wow, I actually do have the potential to, to play this game at a competitive level. Um, potentially be a professional. So it, it does come, I think, mostly from the online ranking system where you can sort of see who's got the potential organically.
1: You spoke about how players can reach their peak at a very early age, which makes complete sense. But I've also seen a lot of people who, like yourself, retire from, from professional uh, gaming or com- competitions at a relatively young age. Is that a, um, a want to or a need to? Like, is there a loss of certain dexterity and the abilities change? Or is that just a, I wanted to move on to the next phase of, phase of my life and do something different?
0: Um, for me, it was more of the, of the sense of just wanting to move on and, and have a different focus on life. I had spent, like, I don't, I, don't, I only became a professional at, I think, about 20 years old. I started, you know, getting a paycheck and whatnot in Overwatch um, and playing on a team for a salary. But um, it wasn't for, it, it, it wasn't because, you know, like, even still currently I still like playing Overwatch, you know, casually. And I'm still, for instance, in the top 500 players. I think I'm, I don't know, number 200 or something right now. Um and I don't even play that much anymore. I you know, well probably for a lot of people they would think it's a lot, but not compared to when I was a professional practicing a lot of hours every day. But um so I, I still feel like I am a pretty strong player, but I just felt that in order to succeed in esports to at least the level that would make me happy, which is like basically not happy unless I'm, you know, at the very best I'm one of the very best players. I always wanted to be at the very least in the conversation for, you know, one of the best players in the world in my role. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be the very, very best at it, like just to be a professional and to be like a bench player and not care like that, that wouldn't be good enough for me. So I pretty much throughout my professional career was always putting a huge number of hours into practicing every single day, um, really trying to be the best in the world. Um, but I think I just, that sort of grind, um, I wanted to take a break and, and, and see a different perspective on that um on life really and i also felt that i had some unique skills for an esports player um that made me well suited to a talent role to explaining the game and and as you said sort of being an ambassador for the game and explaining it especially to people who uh who don't understand it and i felt that that was also a really meaningful calling to me potentially one that uh was more meaningful than the idea of like becoming world champion or being the very best in the world um And I think I just, you know, had been chasing that old dream, I think, since what, you know, 18, 19 years old been trying to do that really, really seriously. And, you know, four or five years down the road, I just wanted to try something different. And I still feel like, you know, maybe there'll come a day where I'll want to compete again. But right now I feel, I feel really motivated and really inspired by the opportunity to, you know, share esports with a wider audience and, um, you know, show it to people who maybe don't understand. While at the same time, Entertaining the endemic fans who you know want to understand the strategy and want to really get into it and understand their favorite players on a deeper level and see what makes them such a good player rather than just the hype you know see like what what are the little things they do and how can we learn from them um, you know connect to their favorite players in, in a really authentic meaningful way uh, and I think being part of that connection supporting that connection is something I'm really passionate about as well so it's more just the idea of wanting to explore a new passion in life um, I think it probably Probably there is some sense of like aging out, but I do think, you know, from a physical capability standpoint, you could go a lot longer. Um, You know, careers could, could, I think it probably is actually pretty, pretty close to like the way a traditional sports career goes uh, in terms of aging out.
1: You are clearly personable and charismatic, and fair or not, that is somewhat running counter to the perception of most gamers. Um, you've been part of a committee that spoke with the International Olympic Committee. You've been obviously a brand ambassador for eSports. Uh, do you feel any additional pressure to represent the eSports community to the mainstream? Um I mean, I guess I don't really
0: feel the pressure. I think this is also something that came from my career in professional gaming. Like, when the pressure was on and, like, playing matches and stuff, I always felt like that is where I could unlock my my truly best performances ever. I don't think I could ever really get to that. Like, the level I was able to play in a few of, like, the best matches in my life, I remember feeling like, wow, I've never done this before in my practice. I've never been on this level. Um, And in terms of, like, really, at least in the game, performing you know, to, to like really experiencing that flow state. So I always felt like the pressure, the adrenaline, you know, just bring it on because the more I get, the better I become. Um, so I think it, it actually, the my time in esports sort of perfectly prepared me for any sort of pressure or, or stress, you know, and I also had always, you know, just like tons of fans, tons of haters, like the same way it goes in traditional <laughs> sports. Um, a lot of people questioning me, a lot of people supporting me. So I think, you know, one way or the other, my mentality as a player and still my mentality now is you just can't let that affect you. You have to, determine for yourself, the way you're going to approach things, determine for yourself what, what you think on a certain issue. Um, and then as far as like what other people ask you about it, you just, you know, let them know what you think. And I think you know, if you don't have that level of confidence in your own ability to make decisions and, and, um, and stand behind them, then like, I don't know. I, I just never really had that problem because I, I've always, you know, had a lot of confidence in myself and my uh, ability and You know, under pressure is just like an opportunity to distinguish yourself.
1: It it doesn't have to mean anything. And pressure is only going to be a problem if you let it get to you. That's great. So you transitioned, as you alluded to, from gamer to caster in 2018. Uh, as a gamer, I've seen you were quoted where you said that you train with your team six days a week for hours on end to be prepared to be your best professionally. Uh, most interviews that I do with athletes, they always talk about the hardest part when they stop competing is they miss out that, on that, uh, that the camaraderie that comes from being part of a team. They miss the guys in the locker room or they miss those moments where they're mm. watching movies together or doing things together. Um, how has that transition been for you, going from being part of a team to being part of a different team now as a caster? Has that been a hard transition for you?
0: Um, yeah, I would say so. I think that's that's fair. Like, I do miss my old teammates. Um, what's cool about esports though is that I still get a bit of an opportunity to to be on that. You know, even though I'm not on a professional team, um, the developers of the game ran like a community tournament. Um, uh, a couple of weeks ago where they actually, they, you could make your own rosters and they capped the team at two professional players maximum. So you couldn't like field a full professional team, but I was able to play with um, Dante who is one of my old teammates and a young player who personally I think is like, has a ton of potential. Like I've totally believe he'll be like the best in the world um, someday. And he already is like close to that level already. Um, so I got to play with him again and, and a few other friends, um, you know, one other professional and a few other friends who are, are strong, strong non-professional players and we were able to win that tournament and it was great to just like get back into that mode of competition and and hype and being super invested in the outcome of the game and yeah so I can totally see how a professional athlete would miss that and I I do miss that to some extent but I also am lucky because in esports I don't have to give that up entirely like I can still sort of relive a lot of that greatness um, in these you know small segments and I don't have to be a full professional and do it as my career and I can still have those You know, it's not going to be every day. It's not going to be every week. But, you know, once in a while, those tournaments will come along. And it's great when there's a professional player cap because then... I can be one of the strong players again. Don't have to because uh, I don't count as a pro anymore. <laughs> I can go destroy the amateur tournaments now.
1: <laughs> there you go. That's a good attitude right there. So, what about from a job performance perspective? Were there any eye-opening moments as you went from being the guy making the moves to the guy describing and analyzing the moves? Was it was there much of a transition for you to get professionally into the role of being a caster? And were there any eye-opening moments in that regard?
0: You know, I always approach casting. Um, from the perspective that I approached the playing, because I actually, when in my team, I was on the role of the in-game leader, um, which means, like, you're all in, like, a voice chat while you're playing, um, you know, in a professional match, and usually there's going to be generally one player, sometimes, you know, usually multiple players contribute, but generally there's one player um, whose voice is kind of, like, the leader of the team and deciding, you know, what's our next play, you know, other, a lot of people, everyone's going to be putting in input on, like, here's the informational situation calling out what they see and, um, you know, providing information. Um, and then the in-game leader is going to make that decisive call of like, here's what we got to do this fight. Um, you know, like here's a way to approach the situation given all the variables, um, that we know and the scouting information that we have, because of course your information is limited, um, in the game. So using that limited information to make the best decision was my role as in game leader. And going to casting, I always felt like was actually kind of easy because as a caster, you get to see this big perspective. You see the whole field, instead of being in that first person POV, Um, so for me, it was like, oh, I'm doing the same job I was doing as an in-game leader, except I have infinitely more information. I can see everything on the map. So I sort of just approach it from both teams' perspective, okay, if I was this team, what would I do given the information that I, that I have? And because there's so much information, it's actually, I feel like a lot easier than your job as an in-game leader, where you're trying to put together a puzzle with half the pieces, uh, you know, and, and know exactly how everything's going to break down, whereas a caster, you've got all the pieces, you've got all the information. And you're basically doing the same job, put together the puzzle, and let the let the audience know what each team needs to do to win the fight. Um, and I think with all that excess of information, it really feels like the a very similar job as what I was doing as in game leader, but just actually a lot easier.
1: Jake, we'll finish up with this. I, I, I thank you a ton because um, I feel like in every one of these interviews that I've done, and this is episode 270, I think of this show, uh, I learned so much too from all my guests and I've learned a lot from you, which I really appreciate in, in understanding your world and ecosystem that much more. Um, but I want to finish up with this. We often talk in the career development space about, you know, finding your passion for what you want to do. And you said that early on, mm-hmm. you said you found your passion. This is something you love doing. And even when you're not, you know, playing yourself, you want to take it to the next level and can continue on in this because it's what you truly enjoy. Uh, And that's awesome. And I think that's what everybody strives for. What advice do you have for people out there in any field, kind of, to help them identify that thing within and, and give them the strength to pursue their passion with as much vigor? I mean, what I think is really interesting about this is that you said earlier when you were first playing, even before you were a professional, your parents were giving you pushback. You know, like this is this is a useless endeavor for you. And yet you still pursued it with as much gusto as you have to get to this point. I mean, not only where did you get the strength to kind of see that as your future, but what advice would you give for anybody else out there who might be facing the same kind of challenges?
0: Well, first, on the individual level, I would say that the irony is that despite the pushback from my parents, my parents also were the ones who inspired me to have the level of confidence necessary to defy them, in a sense. Hmm. Um, So I think that there's there's definitely some irony there that, of course, they challenged me on gaming, but my parents, like, they could have, you know, been hardcore. They could have taken my computer away. They could have stopped things cold dead in the water, if they had really wanted to do that. But they saw, I think, um, despite, you know, their fear that, oh, this is a useless endeavor, they saw my passion for the activity, um, you know, and just gaming in general and how much I love to do it. So, I think from, from their end, and they, they also, you know, throughout my entire life, gave me all the confidence and skills necessary to succeed in anything. And they set me up to, you know, do whatever you're passionate about. Um, I think maybe they just didn't see that gaming actually had careers, that it was a viable way to, to have a future. Um, back then, which is why they pushed back, but um, now they're really supportive, and I think definitely like the reason I have that confidence is, is also them, despite the pushback. So I have to definitely credit my parents with like my success, um, both in you know competitive gaming and in, in casting and in talent work. Um, that level of confidence that they gave me is really what enabled me to succeed. Um, and I'd say the general advice for, for anybody finding their passion, I feel like your passion is going to be the thing that sneaks up on you. Uh, it's going to be the thing that you don't think about as important. You don't think about as, um, you know, maybe, maybe actually it depends. Like guess some, some people might actually quickly recognize their passion as a, as a huge important thing if it's validated by society. Um, uh, but just look at the way you spend your time really. Like, what are you, what are you doing all day long? Like, what do you, what do you want to be doing when there's nothing else to do? Um, when there's no obligation or responsibility on you, like, where do you go? Um, for me, that's going to be like the best way to understand your passion. Like the thing that just gives you joy, that you don't, that you get, if you get no tangible rewards for it, but, but you get this intangible reward of just enjoying the experience, that's going to be the thing that you should keep investing into, find a way to make that a job, um, find a way to make that a career. Um, and it might not be possible for everybody, but, you know, even, even if you can't make it your career, your job, you could still put time into it. You can still enjoy it. And, um, you know, just have an open mind about where the future might take you, um, especially in this day and age with like career transitions happening for everybody, everyone adapting to you know, all the changes in the modern world, uh, you never know when an opportunity might come along, especially if you, you know, get out there yourself, you know, especially for gaming and esports, start making content, you know, start streaming, start playing the game, start, you know, watching the competition, analyze the competition. Like even if you have no connections in the industry and, um, or, or whatever industry of passion you might, you might choose, you can actually, in this day and age, you can get out there and be a part of it on a grassroots level with like all the digital resources that are available to everyone these days.
1: Jake, I think that's a brilliant answer, and I think it makes for a perfect place for us to finish this up. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You've shared a really a great insight into your world and all that goes into it, and I know this will be fascinating for our audience, so I just want to thank you for coming on.
0: Oh, thank you. It was really uh, great to be a part of it. I always love the opportunity to reflect in my career, reflect on esports, and I'm super happy to explain it to anybody who's interested
1: Thanks to Jake for coming on the show and so passionately describing his life, his dreams, and his vision for esports. I mean, come on. You guys are impressed, right? (laughs) I am. He handles himself with grace and maturity of someone twice his age. It's so impressive. And I just love, love, love talking to people who are passionate about what they do and have found that within them and are just going after it. That's inspiring for all of us. Whether you're into esports or not, that's inspiring. Thanks for listening. Please remember to share our podcast with your network of people and review wherever you listen. Rate it, review it. Give me five stars. Throw them out there. It helps us be listed in the podcast aggregators so that other people can be exposed to our content. And that's good because it helps me get better and better guests because I keep trying to drive for better and better and better. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Appreciate you listening. Stay safe out there.